Well, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. As a student here uh, is when I was actually uh, felt my call to ministry. And uh, uh, about nine years ago, I became pastor of uh, Canisarega, uh, or in Valley Wesleyan Church in Canisarega. And uh, every now and then, ministry would get lonely for me over there. And Houghton was always a place where I could come to be refreshed and receive uh, encouragement from all of you. Uh, and then particularly over the past uh, several years, I've had the opportunity to be mentored and encouraged by uh, Pastor Wes Odin, and his mentorship in my life has made me a better pastor, a better minister of the gospel. And so I've received so many blessings from Houghton Wesleyan Church that time doesn't permit me to really recount them all. Those are really just the highlights. But it's an amazing privilege and a blessing to be with you this morning. And, that I, and I hope that through the ministry of the word, what I can do for you is uh, give you a blessing in return through the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me pray a prayer of of uh, inspiration for us at this time. Dear Heavenly Father, as we think about this passage of Scripture, I pray that you, O Holy Spirit, would rush upon me, give me the words to speak to this congregation, so that we may all be fed by your word and by your power. In your name I pray these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd like to start this morning by asking you to do me one more favor. Would you uh, pray today for my grandparents? I still have both sets of my grandparents with me, and I know what an amazing blessing that is in my life. Uh, They've been on my mind a lot more recently, especially as uh, they're declining in their health a little more rapidly these days. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and my entire family lived just a couple miles from each other. And uh, over, over that period of time, their presence in my life as a boy was something that I just kind of took for granted. They were always there. And so uh, they helped raise me. They nurtured me. They surrounded me with love. And each and every one of them knew Jesus Christ as their Lord. And they modeled for me uh, four different, fulsome pictures of holiness in my life. And I'll never forget uh, just the way that they represented Christ to me and encouraged me as I was growing up. Later, uh, Lately, though, as I call my parents, which I do fairly often, their stories usually turn around to my grandparents and the good days that my grandparents have had and sometimes the bad days that they've had. My grandpa, he gets uh, dizzy spells a lot more frequently these days that make him nauseous. The doctors can't do anything really anymore for my grandpa or my grandma Schambach, who has back pain. Uh, Grandpa Campbell can only stand for a couple minutes at a time. And my grandma Campbell, I can tell she's getting sick a lot more frequently these days. And coming home, therefore, usually means helping in some way, shape, or form at my grandparents' house. Doing something, taking care of a chore, doing some odds and ends that that need taken care of in order to uh, watch over them. And I can tell that caring for them, I I do that when I come home, but my my parents, this responsibility falls a lot on them. And caring for them is, is even getting a little harder for my parents now. So I appreciate your prayers. But I have another reason for bringing this up, though. 
What's happening to my family right now is a very normal experience. I imagine it's an experience for many of you. Life has a way of reminding us of the preciousness of physical strength. My family is drilled in that knowledge on a daily basis every time that we help Grandpa Campbell up the stairs or every time that we split wood and carry it in for my Grandpa Schombach's fireplace. When our loved ones grow weak, all of us, all of us will gladly give our energy and make it available on tap in order to serve them. But we cannot do that We cannot take up that opportunity and that privilege to serve them without the regular reminder that physical strength is a valuable commodity and something to be cherished. And maybe that's why, when we think about an idea like strength, oftentimes our default idea for that image is the physical one, is physical strength. And I can't help but wonder, though, As I think about that, if seeing my grandparents as weakening in their old age is really just kind of a trick of my experience, I'm so quick to note where their strength is failing that that I often forget and overlook where their strengths really lie. The greatest thing that I admire in my, in my grandparents, the, the most wonderful things that I remember about them have never been their physical strength. It's my grandpa Schombach's integrity, my grandma Schombach's gentleness and compassion. It's the way that grandpa and grandma Campbell have this superhuman ability to be patient and kind to everybody. And when I really stop and think about it, those things... Those things that that I recognize as strengths in my grandparents, those things have not diminished as my grandparents grow older. Actually, they've gotten a lot stronger over time. Those attributes that have made them exemplars in faith for a small boy in Pennsylvania have only grown more obvious and more pronounced in their personalities. Is it possible that my grandparents are actually growing stronger with age? If the answer to that question is yes, it leads me to a rather convicting thought that I've been really pondering over the last couple of weeks. Where we are most ready to recognize strength speaks volumes about us. Where we are most prone to locate power informs the habits of our faith. If you were to ask any child that's grown up regularly in Sunday school who the strongest man in the Bible is, you will get an immediate response, that person is Samson. But even children, uh, at least if I'm recalling my own experience kind of growing up as a a Joy Bell and then a Herald and CYC and so forth, in my own experience, uh, I recognized, and I imagine that most children do, that Samson's strength is somehow special. It's not a normal kind of strength. There's something strange and off about Samson that makes him able to rip gates off of hinges and push out columns. 
There's something in Samson that isn't Samson. And what that is, is explored for us for the first time in this story where we see Samson tear apart a lion. Now I know that we're all eager to state the obvious here. The Spirit of the Lord is the strength that moves Samson. The Spirit of the Lord is where Samson gets his power from. But before we go there, I want us to look at Samson from the lion's perspective for just a couple minutes. Soren and I, uh, we have this tradition on Sunday morning, uh, or Sunday afternoon, I should say, where we we come home from church, and uh, I'm usually in kind of a sermon coma, and so we just sit on the couch and we watch nature documentaries for for the first hour or so of the afternoon. And so I have it on good authority from National Geographic that lions are what ecologists call an apex predator. In other words, lions don't really have anything preying on them. They don't really have to worry about being hunted. They can just focus all of their time and all of their energy on hunting for their own food. A couple years ago, I took a mission trip to Africa, and I actually uh, got to witness the end of a lion hunt. And as the lions... Uh, converged upon this Cape Buffalo and just started devouring it. I remember being startled by the violence of it all. I could hear the, the muffled sound of crunching bones. Almost, it was, it was kind of the sound, what, what would it be compared to? It, it was the sound of cracking nuts under a pillow. Uh, I, I, can, I can remember that sound as, as, those buns, as those bones crushed, and I can remember seeing the sticky entrails on the, on the, uh, the ground there, caked with stones. And I remember thinking to myself, this is nothing like the, geographic, uh, the National Geographic documentaries that Soren and I watched. I was stunned by the power and the brutality of lions. And so here's Samson walking down the path to Timnah as this lion, this apex predator, and this quintessential image of nature red in tooth and claw as it watches Samson approaching. This lion does not see Samson as the strongest man in the Bible. This lion did not go to Sunday school. This lion sees prey. This lion sees Samson as just another meal to take by force the way that lions always do. And as I was thinking about that, the thought dawned on me. What if the story is not about Samson's strength at all? What if, what if this is a story that's actually about the strength of the lion and about the strength of the Holy Spirit? What if this tale is about the contest over who will take possession of Samson's life? Use your imagination and consider the meaning of this lion. Lions have always been an evocative symbol of nature's power and nature's ferocity. There is a reason that lions figure so often in political imagery for us. This is not just a lion. 
This lion is a representative of a certain kind of power that seeks to rule Samson's life. An earthy power. A power that operates completely within the realm of creaturely existence. This kind of power seeks to turn Samson into a thing like itself, into flesh, into something to be consumed, into food for lions. Have you ever felt like food? Like prey on somebody else's menu? Something to satisfy the appetite of somebody else's wallet or ego or sex drive? What exactly is that commercial doing with that slow-motion clip of shrimp splashing into melted butter? What's happening? What's, what's going on? What's behind that hyperbolic rhetoric in that campaign speech? Why are my kids nicer to me now that I'm doing my estate planning? Why is the children's cosmetics industry worth $18 billion a year? That lion is approaching. It's coming toward us. That's the lion inviting us to dinner. That's the lion telling you, you're just an animal, so act like it. But crouching along the path to Timnah, the lion has not counted on a very different kind of power. It's a power the lion can't understand because, after all, it's a lion. The spirit of the Lord also comes mightily upon Samson. The spirit of the Lord would also make a bid for Samson's life. And his interest is not in destroying Samson. His interest is in preserving him. In fact, he offers instead to destroy the lion. To cancel the power that would reduce us to beasts with beast-like strengths and beast-like instincts. Two powers clashed over Samson that day. And the power that triumphs. The power that wins, at least on that day, is quite simply God. It's God's power. You know how I said just a little bit ago that where we're most prone to locate power and recognize strength says a lot about us? The thing about that is we all know better. We all know that there's certain powers out there that would destroy us as soon as they'd get the opportunity. We're not walking down the road to Timnah with our guards down. We know the allure and the attraction of beastly appetites. We know that there is a way to treat ourselves and the world around us as objects to satisfy our base desires. And we have consciously disavowed those methods of relating to our world, or at least we're trying. We know that the devil, as that famous passage that Peter mentions, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And funny that word, roaring, there. It's the same word that's used in the Septuagint, the, basically the NIV of, of the apostles in the ancient world. It's this ancient Greek uh, translation. And, and look, there's the word 
the word roaring for this passage in our story here in Judges 14. It's almost like the Apostle Peter recognized this this sermon long before I got to it. So we're on the lookout lest food or sex or money or time or work or reputation take up too much power in our lives. They all have strength. They would all rule over us if they could and make themselves the meaning of our lives one bite at a time. And it's because we're alert to those things that the Christian tradition has taught us to take up positions against them and to defend ourselves. One of the best things that ever happened to me while I was a student here up at the college was when a friend challenged me to read a book by Richard Foster called uh, The Celebration of Discipline. In that book, I learned how to defend against the power of food with fasting, against the power of work with Sabbath, against the power of ego with confession, against the power of time with prayer. That book blew open the doors of my spiritual life and ushered me into the verdant and bountiful garden of holiness. It's a a book well worth reading. I am so glad that a church like Houghton Wesleyan is calling people back to the spiritual disciplines. I am so glad that Houghton is a place where the spiritual disciplines of fellowship and prayer and generosity and study and meditation are taught and advocated for people on their journey. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, these spiritual practices that brace us against earthly appetites can actually become hijacked by them. The spiritual disciplines of fasting or prayer or meditation can become one more object, one more power to bend away from God and toward our own appetites. The appetite to feel righteous. The appetite to appear holy. And I'm not just talking about the ways that we try to deceive ourselves or even others by behaving well. I'm talking about how we can let these spiritually healthy activities stand in for the one power that we cannot control on our own. That we cannot do anything to to bring upon us the real and genuine and authentic power of the Holy Spirit. And so I say, don't settle for the pleasure of prayer or the habit of fasting. Do them, but don't settle for them. Don't settle for the rhythm of Sabbath or the power of Christian fellowship. These human activities, these human acts, have only ever been a means to grace. And I'm not saying that to trivialize their importance. I'm not saying that prayer or fasting or meditation aren't worth our time. They are. The spiritual disciplines are not less than a means to God's grace. But they're also not more than that. We experience God's grace through them, but they themselves are not the grace or the power that we seek. 
God's power is nothing other than his personal agency, the personal agency of God himself. Grace is nothing more than the phenomenon of his presence in our lives. In your journey, don't settle short of the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. If we did that, our strength would be nothing more than human willpower. Spiritual life hacks with a Christian twist. God's Spirit must come upon us. We must despair of any other possibility. Only an act of God equips us to triumph over lions. One word of warning, though. The great irony of this story and the tragedy in Samson's life is that he returned to the lion after the lion was already dead. Dead power, even after it has been bleached by the sun and is nothing but bones, held an attraction over Samson. We could, he could not resist its sweetness. And the Bible says he saw, he took, and he ate. Do those words sound familiar to you? It's the same pattern, it's the same verbs that happened there in Genesis 3 at the fall of mankind. This episode in Samson's life becomes a kind of parable for the rest of his narrative in the book of Judges. Taken by lust, taken by greed, taken by a desire for revenge, the paradox of Samson's life is that for as strong as he was when the Spirit rushed upon him, Samson was an incredibly weak man. Every time he fell for the forbidden honey inside that carcass of earthly power, Samson drew one step closer to his doom. It's no accident that at the end of Samson's story, he ends up blind because he can't see spiritually as well as literally. And he also ends up dead in one last great act of revenge. By contrast, if I could do this, I give you my grandparents. Weaker than they were in the memories of my youth, getting closer and closer to that unflattering stage of, stage of life we sometimes call second infancy, yet filled with astonishing virtue in their old age. I mentioned that they seem to be getting stronger as time goes by, but you know what I actually think is getting stronger? I think it's their ability to transparently reflect the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I don't know how else to think about it. I don't know how else to understand them. I see holiness in them. I see in them what God must be like. And that, that right there, is power. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, even as we, we read that passage of Scripture, those words, thanks be to God, 
seem to get caught in our throat with that image of honey from a lion's carcass. Dear Lord, feed us not with forbidden honey, but with the genuine power of your Holy Spirit. And may that be the power that reigns in our souls and in our lives, no matter what happens to our bodies. It's in your name I pray these things, Lord Jesus. Amen.